Luke 15. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me. Was that rejoicing? (laughs) Rejoice with me, for I found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And he said, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to the father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he, had, but when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate, for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, And I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you're always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Then from John chapter 1, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. 
Would you pray with me? Father, we do thank you that you give us uh, your word and that you give us the opportunity to hear it now. Uh, I pray that you would speak through my words and that you would speak uh, over and above them if necessary. But Father, would you feed us this morning and help us to see your glory. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's, uh, it's Christmas party time of year. I know everybody is excited about the, uh, the various Christmas parties that you'll be going to. You know, some of them, some of them you'll love. Uh, some of them you'll be at these parties and you'll be looking at your smartphone the whole time, you know, checking your fantasy score or watching the game, which you're like, man, this is lame. I need to be somewhere else besides here. I'm, I'm, I'm sick of Christmas parties, especially this one. I want you to think for a minute, what's the best Christmas party you've ever been to? What's the best Christmas party you've ever been to? All right, maybe you can't think of a good one, so let me help you out. Um, what's the best party you've ever been to? All right, period. Any time of year, what's the best party you've ever been to? All right, now, and I'm not asking you this question to make you feel guilty, so I have to say that ahead of time. Did the party you're thinking of, did it have any connection to the church? Uh, you don't have to raise your hands and tell me. <laughs> um, did, it have, did it have any connection to Christianity? Did it have any connection to the gospel? All right, I bet, I bet most of us would probably say, mm, no, not really. Uh, and, and, you know, why is it, and again, I'm not saying this to make you feel guilty, why is it that we pull out all the stops for the tailgate party, and we probably should, but why do we do that, but then when it comes uh, to the, the church party, we bring the off-brand cookies and the off-brand, the, you know, the Dr. Peeper. We, we, we're not even going to spend, all right, let's just bring the old stuff. It's the church party. Um, it, it, it's, it's fellowship time, and we, have, we don't have a party. We have fellowship. You know, I wonder if we realize how much our lack of celebration says about our view of Christianity. Uh, John Sartell said this, he said, the problem with the church is that we look out at the world with our faces pressed against the glass, wishing we could have a party like they're having. When the truth of the matter is that we have something so great and so wonderful that ought to make us so alive and so happy and so filled with joy that the world ought to have their faces pressed up against the glass of the church saying, man, I wish we could have a party like that. And so what I want to do as we look at this text one last time this morning uh, is to give you a reason to celebrate this Christmas. I want to give you a, a recipe, a recipe for a party. Uh, and there's, there, there's four ingredients, surprising, isn't it? Uh, there, there are four ingredients in this recipe for, the, for a party. And the first is this, is a father who seeks the lost. A father who seeks the lost. Let me, let me remind you of the setting of our uh, series of parables here. Uh, Jesus has once again attracted a crowd of tax collectors and sinners. Uh, you might say that he's attracted a crowd of people who try to find life in the party. They're all about the party. That's the only place they can find life. Uh, these are people who've 
you know, they, they've left home, they've thrown off traditional morality, they've said, no, I'll just figure out what's best for me. And so these are the folks that are kind of going their own way and doing their own thing. These are the not religious people. But on the other hand, you also have here the Pharisees and the scribes. You've got the religious people, the religious conservatives even. Uh, these were the people uh, who were towing the line for holiness in, in the midst of a very pagan uh, Roman environment. And so they were saying, no, no, we can't do all these things that you're doing. We're going to be holy. Now these were probably the people who, they didn't try to find life in the party. They probably just stayed away from the party and said, you really shouldn't be there. And they looked down their noses at all the people who were at the parties. And so Jesus tells three stories. Uh, there are three stories aimed primarily at the Pharisees. Uh, he has them mainly in mind, uh, and he's saying to them, look, you guys are mad at me for hanging out with sinners, but don't you see that that's who the Father sent me to find? You're upset with me, but that's the character of the God that you say you worship. The God that you say you worship loves to go after lost things. He loves prodigals who have run off to the far country. Uh, he goes after sons who want the father's things more than they want the father. And he's saying to them as well, don't you see that, that you're just as lost? That you're just as lost as the tax collectors and the sinners. In fact, perhaps you're in a more dangerous position than these sinners who have gathered at my feet because you don't realize your loss. You don't see that you too, and your religious busyness is just a way of accomplishing this, you want the Father's things, but not the Father. You're in the same exact boat. And so Jesus tells these stories. Uh, the first story is the story of a shepherd who goes after a lost sheep. Uh, the second story, what does a woman who has lost who has ten coins, and each coin is worth probably a day's wages, what does she do when she loses one of these coins? Well, she lights a lamp and she sweeps the house until she finds this lost coin. She looks for it. And then we have this third story. Uh, and I told you before that the third story kind of throws you off a little bit uh, because you're expecting, when the younger brother leaves home, you're expecting somebody to go look for him. And yet nobody does. In this culture, they would have expected the older brother, to go and to look for his younger brother. And so the story feels a little different, but you still see the father there, and you still see his character as he's standing there, gazing into the distance, longing for his son to come home. The text says that he sees him at a great distance. And so the father was, was eagerly desiring the return of his son. And then you see it again with the older brother, uh, in verse 28, where uh, the older brother is, is angry when he finds out what's going on. And he, he doesn't want to go in to the party. And the father comes out and he entreats the older brother and says, Come in. Come in and celebrate with us. Let me ask you something. Was that sheep valuable to the shepherd? Was that coin valuable 
to the woman who lost it? Was the first son valued by the father? Was the second son valued by the father? Are you valued by the father? Are you valuable to the father? See, I'm beginning to think that the the longer I'm a Christian and, and around Christians, that our biggest problem is not that we are lazy or undisciplined or don't read our Bible enough. It's not that so much. Is that we don't realize how much the Father loves us. We don't realize how much the Father loves us. We don't realize that, that in the midst of our older brother lostness and younger brother lostness, that there is a Father who is passionately seeking us and pursuing us. You know, for, for many of us, I think our biggest problem with the Bible is actually grace. It's actually grace. I can't believe he would want me. I can't believe he would pursue me. I, I, I've got to do something to make myself better, to make me worthy of him pursuing me. Because I'm not valuable. Christmas says you are. Christmas says that you are valuable and treasured by the Father. Christmas tells a story that the Father had a son who was sent by the Father and who, was, who willingly came to seek after you. See, some of y'all, and my wife's probably in this boat, some of y'all saw this text this morning. It's like, why does he not preach a Christmas sermon already? Are we going to do the prodigal son one more time? Can't we get to the manger already? But y'all, this is a Christmas text. There couldn't be a better Christmas text than a father who seeks after lost things. Have you ever been to a party when you weren't sure if anybody wanted you to be there? Like, oh, I don't, I don't know if I should be here. Now, this party, this isn't, they don't really like me here. Uh, some of us become Christians and we go to church, we take the name of Christian, but we look at our lives and we say, I don't, I don't think God really wants me here. Does he really want me See, the, the first ingredient uh, in our recipe for a party, the first thing you, you and I have to realize before our lives will be characterized by joy and by celebration is that the Father sought you, and the Father loves you, and the Father wants you to be here. It's the first ingredient for our party. Ingredient number two is a Father who embraces you. Uh, Verse 20 says that he runs to the son and he embraces him and kisses him. You know, there's no speech here from the father. I can't believe how you shamed the family name. Do you realize what you did? Do you realize what everybody around town has been saying about us because of you and what you did and, and how you wasted all of my money? I am so embarrassed by you. Just go, go to your room. I don't want to talk to you. You have to see this picture. In this culture, it would have been beneath the father's dignity to do what he did. Everybody would have expected him to be angry at the son. Instead, he runs, he pulls up his robes, and he runs to his son, and he embraces him. Now, just kind of stop and put yourself in the younger brother's shoes for a minute. 
you've asked your dad for the share of the inheritance. You've gone off to Vegas or to New Orleans or wherever, and you've blown it all. You've done something to bring shame to the family or whatever it is that you've done. You've gone off into the far country, and now you're coming back. What are you expecting from your father? What are you expecting from your father? See, some of us might expect to get the back of our father's hand. And maybe you have. Maybe you've received that from your earthly father. Maybe that's all you've known in an earthly father. is someone who's angry and mad and disappointed with you. See, this gospel message of the embrace, the hug, the kiss uh, of the Father gives you that assurance and that acceptance and that love that you've been longing for. And amazingly, it also gives us the resources to embrace and to forgive fathers who have neglected us. Uh, This love, this acceptance, this embrace... That's what some of us run off to the far country looking for in the first place. Maybe I'm going to find it there. Maybe somebody's going to love me there. And we try to get it from our peers. We try to get it from boyfriends or girlfriends. We we try to get it in rebelling. We try to get it in achieving. And what this passage tells us is that our Father in heaven, the one who created us in his image, the one who loves us, longs to hug us, uh, to, to, to wrap his arms around us, to kiss our cheek and to say, you're mine. You're mine. Everything that you've been looking for in the far country is right here. And it's all yours. It's all yours. It's what you've been looking for all along. Mumford and Sons have a song in which they say, and I just had to work this song into the series at some point. Um, it seems that all my bridges have been burned, but you say that's exactly how this grace thing works. It's not the long walk home that will change this heart, but the welcome I receive with the restart. It's not the long walk home that will change this heart, but the welcome that I receive. You see, at the end of the day, what, uh, what set the younger brother on a new path was not his decision to get up and to go home, but it's the welcome that he received from his father when he got there. It was the eye-popping, logic-defying welcome and love that he received from his father. See, the second ingredient in our recipe for, the, for a party, the thing that you've got to sense You've got to feel the embrace and the welcome of the Father. Third ingredient. We need a Father who will pay the cost. We need a Father who will pay the cost. It's interesting to look at this text, and and we've looked at this before, but I want to point it out again. Notice in verse 18, all right, the prodigal's getting ready to go home. And here's what he's going to say. He's rehearsing his speech. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. 
treat me as one of your hired servants. And so, all right, he goes home. And he's getting ready to give this speech to the father. The father embraces him and he says, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And he can't get the rest of the speech out. Treat me like one of you. No, 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 no. You're not going to say that here. You're not going to say that here. He never says it. The father doesn't want to hear it. You're not worthy to be called my son? Absolutely you're worthy to be called my son. I'll show you how I'm going to treat you. I'm going to give you the best robe. How about that instead of making you a hired servant? I'm going to give you the best robe. I'm going to bring out the ring. I'm going to slaughter the fattened calf for you. I'm going to have a party. I'm bringing you back into the party, into my family, and you have a full right once again to everything. Now, this is key here to get, and I've said this before also. Uh, some people look at this parable and they say, well, God just kind of welcomes everybody back and there's no cost involved. And I don't know how now this is connected to the cross at all. And there's no, there's no debt that's paid down. Nothing happens here. He just says, come on back in. But look, uh, anytime a sin is forgiven anytime uh, a debt is paid anytime a debt is forgiven somebody pays the cost somebody pays the cost uh, if you come over to our house tonight we'll have our party in the basement and we've got a couple of table lamps there uh, that are constantly being knocked over okay one of your children may knock them over tonight that's okay because um, ours have done it too and i've done it too and they are getting broken. The bulbs are blowing. There's just, something always happens to these, to these lamps. Now, if you come over tonight and you knock one over, I'm going to say, don't worry about it. It's, it's, it's really okay. Uh, and we'll put the lamp back up. And so you leave. But look, does that, the cost to put a new bulb in, the cost to repair that lamp, does it just kind of magically disappear because I said don't worry about it? No, I've, I've still got to pay somebody to fix the lamp or I've still got to go buy a new bulb and put it in, and I've, I've forgiven the debt that you owe, but somebody still has to pay it. Somebody always has to pay the debt. It doesn't just magically disappear into thin air. Uh, that happens here as well. There's a cost, because the father has already divided the estate, and probably because he was the younger son, he probably got something like 40% of the estate. Well, that 40% is just gone. And now he's bringing him back in. And he's saying, I'm giving you full rights as a son. I'm giving you my robe. There's a cost to the father. This is my robe, but I'm giving it to you. But look, even more than that, there's a cost to the older brother. Because at this point, there's only 60% left. And whose robe is that? Who is going to get that robe? Who is going to get that ring? Well, the older brother was if Junior hadn't showed up uh, unexpectedly. So you can understand that he's a little bit angry. But the father says, look, I'm willing to pay that cost. I'm willing to pay that cost to bring you back in. <clears throat> we said that what this story is missing at this point is an elder brother who's willing to pay the cost. Because he doesn't have one. He's not willing to pay it. He's angry about this. This story is missing an elder brother who's willing to pay the cost. 
But the Bible isn't. The Bible is the story of an elder brother who was willing to pay the cost. Jesus is that elder brother who leaves the comforts of home, who leaves heaven, who leaves the presence of his father. The father willingly gives up his son. The son willingly comes. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Isn't baby Jesus cute, we say at Christmas? But do you realize why he came? Do you realize what he came to do? He came because God in heaven, your maker, is after you. He loves you. He longs to embrace you. And his son came in human flesh to pay the cost, to pay the debt, the debt of your sin, and to bring you into the family of God. See, the, the third ingredient, if we're going to have a party here, is you've got to have somebody to pay the debt because we all owe a debt. You've got to have somebody to pay the debt, and then you have to realize that somebody has actually paid that debt for you, that you don't, you don't have to go to the door and pull out a 20 uh, to get into this party. The cost to enter has been paid, and it's been paid by the Lord Jesus Christ. And the more you're amazed at that fact that the Lord Jesus has paid your debt, the more joy and celebration will characterize your life. Well, there's one last ingredient here for our party. And it's a father who throws a party. A father who rejoices over sinners and throws a party. Look again. At verse 6 and 7. And I'm gonna, I want to read these again just to, to show you <laughs> this is really here. Verse 6 and 7. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me. Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Now skip down to verse 9. And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. I look down at verse 22. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. Do you believe that you are treasured enough by God that he would seek you, that he would look for you, that he would embrace you, that he would pay the cost for you, that he would throw a party for you. Can you imagine the father throwing a party for you? I mean, that's, that's what happens here. The, the father throws a party so big that the neighbors would have had to call the police. 
Like what, what are they doing over it? Why is it so loud? Why? They are too noisy. All right, this is not a fellowship dinner. Oh, we're glad you're back. Here's your, your ESV Bible. Thank you for rejoining us. No, this is not, this is not fellowship, coffee and donuts. These people are having a party. There's music. There's dancing. And the older brother hates it. He hates it. Older brothers always hate the party. The music's too loud. You spent too much on the food. What are you drinking? What, what, what are you doing? And the father says, don't you understand? My son who is lost has been found again. My son who is dead is alive again. But older brothers don't understand parties because they don't understand grace. Older brothers don't understand parties because they don't understand grace. Uh, a, a few years ago, there's a story of a minister named Tony who flew to Hawaii to speak at a conference. Uh, and the way he tells it, he checked in late at night. His flight came in. He was supposed to speak uh, that weekend. He's trying to get some sleep, but he can't get to sleep. It's 3 o'clock in the morning. He's kind of hungry, and so he decides to go out in Honolulu and try to find something to eat at 3 o'clock in the morning. Uh, everything's closed except for one kind of grungy uh, diner that's down this back alley. And he goes in and he sits at the, sits at the, sits at the bar and the, the guy comes up and says, what do, you, what do you want? You know, he's not very excited to be working. He's not very excited to see him. And Tony's kind of looking at the place going, I don't really know if I want the food here, but uh, give me coffee and a donut. And so he's drinking coffee and eating his donut. It's, it's about 3.30 at this time. And about this time, Eight or nine prostitutes come walking into the diner. They were finished for the night, and this is where they came every night to hang out. Uh, and, and Tony's sitting there, and he's like, I don't, maybe I might need to leave. And he's getting ready to get up and leave when he overhears this conversation uh, between two of them. Uh, the woman next to him says to her friend, you know what? Tomorrow's my birthday. I'm going to be 39. And her friend replies to her, so what do you want from me? A birthday party? You want me to get a cake and sing happy birthday to you? And the first woman says, oh, come on, you, you got to be so mean about it. Why do you have to put me down? I'm just saying it's my birthday. I don't want anything from you. I mean, why should I have a birthday party? I've never had a birthday party my whole life. Why should I have one now? The minister who was sitting there heard that, and he said he made a decision. He waited till they left. And he asked the guy behind the counter, he said, do they, do they come here every night? He said, yeah, they're in here every, every night for years. Why do you want to know? Well, she just said tomorrow's her birthday. Do you think maybe we could throw her a birthday party tomorrow night right here at the diner? The guy kind of grinned a little bit. He's like, yeah. I think we could do that. And he yells at his wife in the back and says, hey, this guy wants to throw Agnes a party for her birthday. And so they decide to, the, the, the chef there makes a cake and Tony comes back with decorations. He gets back at 2.30 the next night and they get the word out on the street through the guy that runs the diner that there's going to be a big birthday party for Agnes the next night. 
So they've got it decorated up. They've got the big sign that says, Happy Birthday, Agnes. They said they opened when 3.15, 3.30 came. The usual group, plus lots and lots of their co-workers and friends, uh, filled in to this diner at 3.30 on the mor- in the morning. And at 3.30, Agnes walked in, and they're all ready, and they all scream, Happy Birthday. Happy birthday, Agnes. And she's stunned. She's never experienced anything like this in her life. You know, she's crying. She's about to fall over. She has to sit down to keep from falling down. And then they bring a birthday cake out with candles, and she's just sobbing at this point that they would have a birthday party for her. Uh, finally, they're like, Agnes, you've got you to gotta blow out the candles. Blow out the candles and cut the cake. And she blows out the candles. And they're saying, come on, Agnes, you cut the cake for us. And she looks down. And and without even taking her eyes off the cake, she says, look, Harry, is it all right with you if, I mean, I, I, I don't, I mean, what I want to ask is, is it okay if I keep the cake a little while? Is it all right if we don't eat it? right away. Uh, Harry, the guy who runs the bar, doesn't really know what to do. And he's like, sure, if, if that's what you want to do, keep the cake. Take it, take it home with you. She says, can I, can I really? And she leaps up in the middle of the party with her cake. And she runs out the door to her home that's a couple of doors down with her birthday cake. She says, I'll be right back. And everybody's kind of stunned at this point, And they all stare at Tony, who has organized this party. And so he gets up on a chair and he says, what do you say that we pray together? Uh, And and right there in in front of all her friends and co-workers, he prays uh, for her salvation, for her health. He said, I prayed that her life would be changed and that God would be good to her. Uh, When he finished, the cook leaned over and he's kind of angry and he says, You never told me you were a preacher. What kind of church do you belong to anyway? Tony replied, I belong to a church that throws birthday parties for prostitutes at 3.30 in the morning. Harry, they said Harry thought for a moment, then he says, no, you don't. There's not a church like that. If there was, I'd belong to it. Do you want to be that kind of church? Do you want this to be that kind of church? See, before we can be that kind of church that throws parties for sinners, you've got to realize that you are Agnes. Not just to sit and say, oh, that's a warm story and we should do something like that. But you've got to realize that you are Agnes and yet the Father rejoices over you. Uh, Jean LaRue tells a story of, of preaching through this passage. They were doing it on a Monday night uh, with 20 to 30-somethings. And they'd been going for several weeks. And this young woman came up to him one night. She was tracking with where this was going. And she said, there's a party coming at the end of all this, isn't there? And he said what they did every Monday night was they had a tub of Coke and Sprite. And then they, they would alternate pizza and then subway pizza subway pizza subway 
And she says, well, there's, there's a party coming at the end of this, right? And he's like, well, yeah, I guess. He says, what are, we, what are we having that night? And he goes, pizza, Subway, pizza. Subway, we're having Subway that night. And she says, well, no, 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 no. Let me cook for this party. And she's a chef of some, port, some sort. And so she fixes everything up. And she asks him, let me back up a step. She asks him, she says, what's the, what's the budget for this? Uh, and John said he kind of thought a minute of the deacons meeting he was going to have to go to and what he should tell her. And he finally looks at her and he says, there's no budget. There's no, there's no budget. Spend as much as you need. And so they walk in that night and she's got the silver and the china and the 40-course mill. And they're just all blown away at this feast that she's prepared for them to eat. And he said people were walking up to him asking questions like, are we in the right place? (laughs) Is this okay for us to do this? Can we really... Can we really spend this much money? Can we really celebrate like this? And he said he asked him, can you ever remember celebrating that you came from death to life? Did anyone ever pull out all the stops for you? And everybody said, no. And he said, yes, they did. The father did this for you. There is a feast in heaven right now celebrating the fact that you have returned to the Father. And the feast that we're having now, is, as wonderful as it is, is a small taste, a small glimpse of the feast that awaits us at the wedding supper of the Lamb. That's what this is all pointing and driving towards. Let me, let me wrap up by saying this. I, was, I just want to suggest what actually believing this would do for us. If we really believe this, uh, that the Father loves us like this, we no longer have our faces pressed up against the glass of the church looking at all the parties out there wishing we could celebrate like that. Instead, there would be so much rejoicing in here that our names are written in the book of life. Knowing that there's a bigger party coming for us in heaven, there would be so much joy, there would be so much celebration that the people of the world would have their faces pressed up against the glass, dying to get in and celebrate with us. Let me pray for us. Father, it's easy for us to believe that we're sinners. It's hard for us to believe that you love us like this. Would you help us not just to know it, uh, but to sense it and to feel it? And, and would you cause, knowing it and sensing it and feeling, would you cause that to make us glad? Make us, Father, people who celebrate, who party, Uh, who rejoice in what you have done. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.